Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm a five-year-old, I'm a 37-year-old, I'm a 50-year-old. I've been through all of them. I know what it's like. And I delight in being a child when it's appropriate to be a child. I delight in being an old wise man when it's appropriate. The old wife, you never lose that unless you want to hide it. But we all have all those ages in us because we went through them. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. I'm your host, Mitch Album, the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast was inspired. And Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer, is alongside as always. Hi, Lisa. Hello, Mitch. Well, we got a special treat for you today. Uh, Rob Schwartz has been with us before when we were talking about his recollections of his dad as it related to Tuesdays with Maury. Today... We have Rob with us as it relates to a book that he has edited, which was essentially sitting in Maury's drawer, unfinished, uh, all during the time that I was visiting with Maury. I don't know. I think he worked on it a little bit in the early part of when I was visiting, but then it kind of went unpublished for many, many years uh, until Rob found it in the drawer, essentially, uh, read <laughs> through it and said, you know, there's a lot of stuff in here, particularly about aging, that um, is uh, worth doing. And so Rob has gotten it published in a book f- form called The Wisdom of Maury, which is out right now. I think it came out this week, right? Came out this week. Today. Yeah. Today. yeah. And, and uh, Rob Schwartz joins us. Nice to have you back, Rob. Thank you so much, Mitch. I have to start out by saying, Mitch, my family is so indebted to you. None of this would be possible without you. I mean, my father tried to publish this book from 1992 when he finished it and wasn't able to. And the only reason that I'm able to do this today is because of you. So I hope you know how grateful we are to you. And you know how grateful my mother was. You know that. So, well, so I really hope that you know that. <laughs> Well, thank you. You're, you're more than welcome. And, uh, but this, this, it's a shame that Maury couldn't have gotten it published uh, when he was alive, because it it was just as worthwhile then as it as it is now. And uh, the now what I remember when he was talking about this was it was mostly about aging. Uh, did, was that the case when you originally found the manuscript? Did you modify it a bit? I, I didn't really modify it. I more or less edited it. Uh, certainly, my father's initial impetus to write the book was about aging. But as he wrote, I think he sort of expanded on that idea of like, well, this really kind of applies to everybody because he talks about, you know, blocks that people have and uh, things that keep people from being happy 
and you know he even lists techniques that you can uh, indulge in to try and to make your life you know make yourself more happy. And I really think it applies to people of any age. He certainly focused it on aging. And the beginning of the book, he talks a bit about the psychology and how people have internalized these ageist ideas. And he's really, you know, sad about that. He really feels that people need to expunge these poisonous ideas from their mind. But a lot of the techniques and things that he talks about in stories that he uses really can apply to people of any age. Well, the delightful thing that that Maury taught me about aging was that there was no reason to be envious of people who were younger than you. That, as he said to me, why should I be envious of where you are? I've already been where you are. You (laughs) should be envious of me because I got 40 years on you and you don't know if you're going to get that many years, you know? And uh, I always say Maury looked at aging as like gaining interest on his principle. Every day you got up, there was a a little bit more in the bank, you know. That's so great. So, so, uh, you know, the funny thing is he he tried to get this published in 1992. That means he was working on it probably in the late 80s. That's right. And at that point, he was only in his, uh, what, late 60s, I imagine, right? Uh, well, no, almost he, turning 70. No, he was over 70. I, my, my understanding is that he started writing this book in 1988. He would have been 72 in 72. 1988. Yeah. So he, uh, he once said to me that he told people he was going to be the healthiest old man mm-hmm. anyone ever met, that mm-hmm. he was just in great shape and blah, blah. The only thing he had physically wrong was asthma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course, ironically, he ends up with, with ALS, which is you know such a difficult physical disease. Did Maury feel when he was writing this book, exactly as you sort of intimated, that old is sort of a state a state of mind as opposed to you know uh, uh, you know a natural you got to naturally mm. get depressed as you get older. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly correct, Mitch. And I mean, I think that was part of the impetus to write the book. As you have correctly noted, my father always saw himself as a very young person. And he saw himself that way right up until the time that the university that he worked for, which you attended, forced him to retire. Yeah. Right? That doesn't exist anymore. But at that time, at 70, they were like, you're out. And then he realized that other people viewed him as an old person. He didn't view himself that way. And that's when he started to investigate it in his mind and be like, oh, this is how people see me. Oh, this is how society sees old people. And he didn't feel that way at all, yet he was judged as old by society. So that's when he started thinking about the psychological aspects and also the real practical aspects of how do you maintain this wonderful, joyous, creative life while you age. And then he started, you know, and you know, my dad, as soon as he started thinking about something, he started writing about it and making notes and and things like that. But you're absolutely correct. He didn't really view himself as an old person. And he thought that he was going to live, you know, an incredibly long life. And the disease was a real shocker to all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Now this, the wisdom of more Rob's, Rob's edited book by Maury is not about ALS. That's what's interesting is that, you know, he, he, he didn't, he didn't write this from the perspective of ALS. Tuesdays with Maury obviously is written from, from the point of view of a man who knows that he's going to die with this disease. And that's what so much of the premise is. What did you find as you were looking through this? Cause I know, you know, Tuesdays with Maury 
quite well. You've read it, Ooh. I believe, more than once. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and, and this one, what did you find was similar? And did you find anything that had changed? Did you find that, you know, things that he wrote when he was in his early 70s, once he was afflicted with a terminal illness Ooh. and wasn't going to get out of his 80s, he thought differently about? Right. Um, well, certainly, uh, I think you touched on it already. Certainly, this book is written before he was ill. So this book doesn't really talk about death at all, a little bit. Obviously, by the time, you know, you came back and were talking to him, he had a lot to say about death. Right. And he actually right. already appeared in a bunch of places talking about death. And in some ways, that's what got the, the um, attention to him that he was able to, you know, get on programs that that you were able to see and come back, which is, of course, wonderful. But at this time, he was thinking more about aging and, you know, I'm still alive, I'm still healthy, but maybe my body isn't as agile as it was, you know, 20 years ago, or maybe this or that. So what can we do to, to maintain a kind of lifestyle, a quality of life that we appreciate? So it, it's more about that and less actually about death, because I yeah. think that obviously really entered the picture once he got ill. So I think yeah. that's one of the major differences. Let me just add, though, I do feel very strongly that this book and your book have a lot of resonance. A lot of the ideas that are in your book are also in this book, maybe a slightly different way or, you know, my father is also not as concise as you. <laughs> your book is beautifully concise. He's a little more verbose, but I think that a lot of the ideas are similar. Yeah. It is longer as I'm looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> longer and bigger. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, 268 big pages as opposed to those little 190 whatever little pages. Yeah. Um, you and I are getting pretty close to the age Maury was when he was writing this. Not, Not quite there off. yet. Yeah. But yeah. we're within the decade. Yeah. Uh, what, when you were reading it, you personally, as, as Maury's son, Mm. What, when you were reading it, struck a chord most with you personally, both both as his son, but also maybe as someone who was getting now close to the age that his father was when he wrote this? Yeah, I, I hope this doesn't sound too, uh, um, uh, I don't know what the word would be, pretentious maybe, but I feel like I'm very similar to my father in that I never thought of myself as like an old person or aging. And what you said is factually correct. But, yeah. um, you know, so, but this book has made me think that, okay, well, you know, in X number of years, I will be what some people consider old, or I'm even old, some people consider old today. But, uh, you know, I think that you can continue to lead your life in a way that brings you joy and that you can enjoy everything that you enjoyed previously. Of course, health is always an issue. You know, we always have to watch our health and try and maintain that. But there's a lot of techniques in this book that allow you to um, maintain that kind of quality of life. And if I feel like I'm getting to a point where, uh, you know, something is slipping, then maybe I'll have to employ more of them. But I feel there's things in there that my dad taught me from a young age that, uh, that, I, that I employ that will help me while yeah. I age. How consistent what would you say your dad was with you as a son versus what you have no doubt heard from so many people mm. who were his students mm. or his disciples in some cases mm. um, and how he was with them? Mm, that, that's a great question. Um, 
I, I think I've talked about this in, in other places. I mean, the, the public persona of somebody and the real person are always different. So we have that difference. You're talking more about his students, which isn't necessarily a public right. persona, but is along the same lines. I mean, with his students, you know, obviously he didn't have to take ultimate responsibility for them. He wasn't right. much of a disciplinarian in university, as you're well aware. Um, or from what he told me back in your <laughs> life either. So, you know, well, but there you go. There you go. See, that's the thing. A child. This is exactly my point. A child experiences it differently. Right. Even though he wasn't a disciplinarian compared to some other father. Of course, you have to tell a child no. Right. At sometimes right. or you have to tell a child you can't do that or you have to, you know, uh, do something to discipline what a child. What was he most emphatically no with you about that you were most emphatically yes about? Wow. In your youth. I'd, I'd have to think about that for a long time. I mean, I think the uh, the answer is probably, I guess at this day and age, it's not so embarrassing. Back then, it was illegal. <laughs> the, the answer would be marijuana. Uh, yeah. I, okay. I, I smoked. I smoked. I was that generation where it was just right. par for the course. I mean, I right. wasn't, I didn't get into other types of drugs or anything like that. But he was, I think you probably know this, my yeah. father was extremely anti-drug. He was not uh, accepting of, of marijuana at all, despite the fact that he was a big 60s guy, as you know, and right. dealt with student radicals all the time and stuff. But, yeah, they were my parents were extremely unhappy about That's, that. That's so surprising to me, because just what I know of Maury from doing this show now for three years that we've been doing it. I would always think that he was like, oh, hey, that's cool. You know, what I mean? like I thought that would be kind of how he saw that. 60, a lot of the things in the 60s, he was like that. But you have to remember, marijuana was illegal, strictly illegal when I was a teenager. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, um, no, he was very anti-drug, very anti-drug. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he, didn't, he didn't even really drink tell you the truth no i i remember yeah, right. having that conversation about uh, marijuana with him he didn't like it well he didn't bring you up though rob so you're... <laughs> <laughs> was, was that in what is that in uh was that in the 90s or was that when you were a student at university uh no that was when i was visiting with him when he had als okay, we never uh, I, it never even came up i wasn't a marijuana kid so it never right, came right. up between us in in college That's but good. uh yeah i mean back then well, it was the same time as you. Yeah, it was all legal. And uh, yeah, it never it never was something there. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. 
Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You write in the, uh, in, in the book with the wisdom of Maury about uh, aloneness and relationships in a section called being alone. This yeah. is something that we have dealt with um, in various forms on this podcast over the course of the last couple of years. And it's something that I feel that um, is increasing in our society. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the more we are connected, quote unquote, via social media and and we all we all can talk to anybody anytime we want. We can text anybody anytime we want. We can review photos. We can listen to messages. We can. You would think that this would be a time of ultimate connection, and yet it seems to be the loneliest of of all days, except tomorrow, which is going to be lonelier for people. Um, what does Maury say about being alone? Uh, that was written in before the internet. Yeah. Before the internet. Yeah. That I mean, that now holds true even right. more. Right. Certainly there's there's two sides to it. I mean, he wouldn't say that it's always bad to be alone, right? We can sort of make a distinction between uh, aloneness and solitude. I think there were times when my father would have said, yes, you need to solitude. If you're going to meditate, for example, it's, it's helpful to be alone right. or at least to be quiet. But on the other hand, and I think you know this very well, he was all about, and it comes through so clearly in this book, he was all about human connection. He was all about connecting with other people, his relationships with other people. And if there's one thing we had to boil it down to in terms of what he thought made life worth living, it would be the relationships you have with other people. So that was just absolutely crucial for him. Yeah. And he would encourage everybody to, you know, heal relationships that are broken or difficult, go out and make new friends. And he has he has techniques in this book on how to do that, which, you know, after a certain age, it's really hard to make new friends. Right. But yeah. my father has techniques and and he's just like, this is so important that you keep your connections with other people. Yeah, there's no doubt that he would be distressed about the state of the world now and all the digital communication, which actually keeps us apart, as you said. Yeah, yeah. it isolates us, you know, yeah. and, and yes. to be older and isolated is a really dangerous thing. You know, that's how we age very quickly. Yes, right. yes, yes. Yeah. That's, that's why I do think that your father, had he not been afflicted with ALS, would have lived a, a very long life. Had, had, mm. had there not been some interjection of some health, you know, artificial health thing that cut his years, because he had every everything that they uh, kind of recommend for you as you get older, and that's why there's a lot in this book that that makes sense because he gives techniques about that. He was calm, you know. He he, he wasn't a stroke candidate, you know, uh, because he took he didn't mind taking a slow day or meditating or reading or thinking like that. He had lots of friends and lots of good human connections, 
he wasn't caught up in a you know uh, uh, a depression of not getting ahead fast enough or or the mm. or the tumult of the day he knew how to how to detach himself mm. from the things that were going on so all these things are really good techniques That's for right. a good long life of course you can't control when something you know like a you know a, a, a disease or something comes into your life but if you want to play the odds yeah he had a he had a lot of things going for him and i want to say your mother which about a, a lot of people probably aren't aware of, but your mom lived till 96, 98, 98. Wow. Wow. So, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and your mom and dad were not what I would call carbon copies of one another <laughs> in any shape no, or form. Not really. Not really. No, but they shared certain approaches that were similar to life. Right. And I think your mom right. had some of that too. Right. Absolutely. And I'll add a couple of things to what you said. I mean, I think once again, you're exactly correct. My father had so many things in his life and so many behaviors and attitudes that should lead to a really long life. In addition to that, as he writes about in the book, and as you know, because he would have talked to you about it, he was meditating quite avidly by this time. I mean, it was a slow, you know, approach. It took him a long, long time to make it a regular part of his daily routine. And there are studies that come out recently that show that elderly people in senior centers, the ones who meditate, tend to live five years or more than the ones who don't meditate. Wow. That study just came out. So wow. there's that. And I'll add one other thing that you may not know. You were around towards the end, very, very towards the end, but you weren't around right at the end. So at the very end, I think you may have heard these stories, you may not have, but my father passed into a coma. But Usually in that state, you only survive like maybe a day, but he, he stayed in that state. I think it was for four or five days. And the doctor told me this is because his heart is really, really strong. Hmm. So, you know, that's also an issue for elderly people. If you mm -hmm. if your heart is strong, if you're not going to have a heart attack or a stroke, right. then right. you have a really good chance to live a really, right. really long time. Also a nice metaphor that his yeah. heart was so strong. <laughs> yeah. Well, we all kind of knew that. Yeah, intrinsically, <laughs> yeah. if we didn't know yeah. it medically, um, how Rob did you discover this uh, book? And you know, what was the thought process to go ahead and, and turn it from pages in a drawer to an actual book? Right. So, um, as you're aware, but everybody else may not know, I was living in Japan. Uh, before my father got ill. When he got ill, I spent a lot of time in the United States, but uh, I was living in Japan after he passed, and I would come back periodically, spend time with my mother. And you probably know my mom kept the house that, that my dad had been in, the house that you described so beautifully in Tuesdays with Maury with the maple tree in the front. And I would, I would work at his desk. As you know, I'm a journalist, and I would sit at his desk. I put my computer in his desk, and I would type my pieces out. And uh, one day, I just pulled open one of the drawers in his desk, and there was this big, thick, bound thing with a big black cover. I mean, it wasn't just loose papers or anything like that. I mean, it was fully typed out. It, it was a finished manuscript, Mitch. I didn't add anything to it at all. I had to subtract a lot. And of course, you, you know, I wrote two essays, but I didn't add anything to my father's words. And I pulled it out and I opened it up. And then, you know, it came rushing back to me because I had spent time in the house between a long age of trip and actually moving to Japan in 1989 with my dad talking about this book. So it all came rushing back to me. And of course, you know, in light of the incredible success of Tuesdays with Maury, I thought, wow, you know, we actually have a chance to do something with this. So that's the first part of the answer. And the second part of the answer you probably are familiar with a little bit. 
of course, uh, I had to go to my mother and consult with her and see how she felt. And we had many long discussions. And actually, my mother helped me with the first edit because my mom had edited all of my father's academic work, which um, I mentioned in the afterword of the book. So she had a great handle on his voice and how to edit him. So she's the one that pushed me off in the right direction uh, to do it. But yes, it took a it took a really long time and a, and a lot of consultation with mom going back and forth. Hmm. But uh, that that's the basic story. Yeah. And how long did that whole process take? Well, I probably didn't seriously start thinking about it for a bunch of years after finding the manuscript. It, it took me a while. I mean, when people ask about that, uh, you know, honestly, I have to relate it to grieving for my father because it actually took me a really, really long time to properly grieve for my father. So to get to a place where I was ready to edit the manuscript, it took it took a considerable amount of time. And then oh, I must have done five different edits. Um, so as you can see, it, it took a considerable amount of time. And at the same time, as you know, I had full-time job in, in Japan. I was working for the National Broadcaster. I was working for Billboard magazine. So I had a lot of other things going on. Mm -hmm. Is there any one thing in here, one technique uh, that you have found as you've been talking to people uh, is the most sort of embraceable and, and maybe perhaps unlikely, maybe something that people haven't thought of uh, to do, but are you know, would be wise too. Right. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if there's many that people haven't thought of. I mean, I can give you one that people maybe don't think about. Meditation, I think people think about. There's a few others that I can run through. But one that my father talks about a lot, which is wonderful, is laughter. You know, I think that yeah. old people, maybe that sort of starts to to fade away out of their lives. You know, it seems... It's just a, probably an ageist idea that's lodged into my mind. But, you know, laughter is young people going out and drinking and what are having a good time. And, and we just don't associate that with older people. And my father is like, laughter is so important. Find what makes you laugh and indulge in it. You know, listen to jokes, listen to comedy shows, whatever makes you laugh. It's so important to keep that laughter. And it's so healthy to laugh. So, I mean, that might be the one technique I would point to that people wouldn't think of, you know, automatically by themselves. Well, yeah, I I, I always think of laughter with Maury because that's mm. the point. It wasn't a day, even the last day that I visited with mm. him, which was a few days before he died. Uh, he was still laughing, you know, he was still yeah. making a joke. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm glad to hear that so much of it translates into this. And I saw this uh, in the manuscript form. So yeah, I saw yeah. it a little earlier, but uh, and I'm asking questions that I already know the answers to. But <laughs> but uh, that's what you do when you're hosting a podcast. Right. So the book is out now. It's called The Wisdom of Maury, and uh, it's edited by Rob Schwartz, Maury's son, who has been our guest here. I wish you luck in in this process, which I am vaguely familiar with. More uh, than and vaguely I'm, familiar with. Yeah, you've been through so it a few times. Yes, you. you it's funny to see you talking to somebody on ABC like your dad did. Gosh, how many years ago already it is? 20, 28 years ago. 28 years ago. Wow. Same, yeah. same network. Not the same yeah. guy, but the same network. Ted Koppel's retired. And I should, uh, I should uh, interject there that not only that, but Nightline is also going to do a segment 
28 okay. years later, or, or I guess by the time this plays, it will have done a segment 28 years later. That should be available online or whatever on Hulu or what have you. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, yeah. good to see you. Best of luck. Thank you so much, Mitch. Really appreciate it. We appreciate everybody listening today. We hope you enjoyed our conversation with Rob Schwartz. You can check out more at wetuesdaypeople.com on the web. On behalf of Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer, I say to everybody out there, see you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.